In your copy of the Holy Scriptures this morning, Ephesians chapter number 6. This morning we do begin our summer series on spiritual warfare. And whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, the wicked one, Satan, is warring against you to deceive you and destroy you and to devour you. The battle may be unseen or... If the battle is seen, it may not appear dark to you. After all, the Bible tells us that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Nonetheless, I would declare to you that we are at war against the evil, dark forces of Satan. Now, the term spiritual warfare is not found anywhere in the Bible, but the reality of spiritual warfare can be traced throughout the Bible from beginning to end. If we were to survey the Bible, we could identify the activity of Satan beginning with his fall from heaven. The Bible describes how that the most beautiful angelic being ever created lifted himself up in pride and rebelled against God wanting to be like God and so God cast him that is Lucifer Satan the devil God cast him from heaven along with the other rebellious angels who followed him we know them as fallen angels or demons Satan then made his first public appearance in Genesis chapter 3 you recall the occasion as a serpent there, denying what God said and deceiving Eve, and that's what Satan does. He denies what God has said. He deceives mankind. For John 8, verse 44 says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. During the days of the patriarchs of Israel, Satan then contended that God's servant Job was only serving God because God had blessed him. And so we know from the first chapter of the book of Job that God allowed Satan to afflict Job. And the suffering of Job was not a natural consequence for his sin. It was not a divine consequence for his sin, but rather it was the supernatural attack of the enemy Satan in his battle against God and God's people. Among other examples, there's an occasion when King David numbered those under his command. He took a census of his soldiers and God was displeased. It was not the right thing to do and we might assume that it was simply a matter of poor judgment for David to number his troops. However, 1 Chronicles 21 verse 1 says that it was Satan who moved David to number Israel. We don't need to go very far into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, which tells us of when Satan tempted our Lord in the wilderness in very specific ways, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. In every case, Jesus cited what God said and refused to sin. The Gospels tell us of the demon possession of different individuals, perhaps most familiar to us is the the man of Gadara, the maniac in Gadara there in Luke chapter eight. In another case, John reported how that Satan entered into the heart of Judas and used him to betray Jesus. Beyond the possession of men, there's the oppression of the disciples. Luke tells us that Satan demanded to sift Peter like wheats. And notice here the difference between possession and oppression. I would submit to you that believers cannot be possessed for greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. However, believers can certainly be oppressed and we find cases of satanic oppression of the disciples. At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Satan attacked Jesus again in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
To the Thessalonians, Paul wrote, for we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once is what he wrote. Yet Satan thwarted us, impeding the work of the apostles. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote that Satan, the God of this age, has blinded those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them in blinding the lost to the truth of the gospel. And then, of course, the book of Revelation describes in graphic detail the, the fighting and the, the final battles in which Satan works to deceive the world and war against God. And so a survey of the Old Testament and the New Testament certainly informs us of spiritual warfare. You say, but pastor, that's the Old Testament. That's the New Testament. That's back in the Bible days. What about us here and now today? Spiritual warfare today. Well, the Bible tells us in 1 John 5, verse number 19, we know that we are of God. I hope that's your testimony this morning. I hope you have that surety and that confidence that you are of God, but the whole world lies under the sway or the power, I think is how the ESV describes it, or the control, how the the New New International Version uh, renders it, the, the control of the wicked one. So that spiritual warfare is the supernatural conflict for lordship over this world. Who will be sovereign and who will reign supreme over this world? Whose will and way will be honored and obeyed in this world? And we are caught in the middle, caught in the crossfire of the conflict for we live in this world. And the Bible describes this unseen but very real battle, this spiritual war in 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we live in this flesh, this body. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not physical, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Also, in Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against physical, a physical enemy, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And as we begin this summer series in conjunction with our home Bible fellowships, and we, we, we must begin with a recognition that we are at war against the wicked one. We are engaged in this conflict. Now, when it comes to the matter of spiritual warfare, there are two errors that are often made. The first error is that of overemphasis. The other error is that of underemphasis. Regarding overemphasis, some will blame every problem that they have in life on Satan or on demons. An overemphasis would be to perceive every human struggle that you face as a spiritual battle. But the Bible teaches us that we actually fight on three different fronts. We, We fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. Therefore, before you give Satan credit for all of your struggle, remember the world and the flesh could be to blame. In fact, I would submit that most of the battles in my Christian life are really a matter of the world and the flesh. That is, my living or loving this world and my living in or loving this flesh. In most cases, Satan doesn't need to bother with me. 
In most cases, demonic attack doesn't need to bother with me because the world and the flesh are enough to defeat me. So don't overemphasize the matter of spiritual warfare in claiming that everything is a battle against the wicked one. On the other hand, don't underemphasize spiritual warfare. Regarding underemphasis, some will ignore or dismiss the reality that there is an unseen spiritual battle that is raging. There are those that would suggest that Satan and his demons, this spiritual warfare, this unseen conflict is is really not something that we need to be concern ourselves with in, in a Western modern culture. After all, when was the last time that you saw the devil in the flesh? But 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, our adversary, the devil, he does walk about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so Peter tells us we must be sober We must be vigilant. And this summer, I want us to pursue a biblical understanding of this matter and help us to learn how to use the biblical weapons for warring against the wicked one. This is something that I'm calling the believer's unseen battle. And let me, after that extended introduction, let me just pause for prayer, commit this message and our summer to the Lord as we go to war. God in heaven, we come to you in the name and because of the powerful blood of Jesus Christ. We come to you based upon the authority of Jesus as our high priest who's always making intercession for us. Lord, we come to you mindful of the spiritual warfare in which we are engaged on a daily basis, whether we see it or not, whether we know it or not. Lord, help us not to overemphasize it, help us not to underemphasize it, Lord, help us to take up the whole armor of God so that we might be able to stand in the strength of the Lord. Lord, I pray for the Fourth Baptist Church this summer as we embark on this study on Sunday mornings and we continue the study study each week um, in our home Bible fellowships that you would help us to be soldiers that rise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, your Bibles are open there. Ephesians 6, verse number 10. The Apostle Paul writes, finally, my brother. Now, don't think of this as a conclusion, but rather think of it as a climax. And the reason that I call this a climax instead of a conclusion is that the Greek term translated finally in verse number 10 in your English Bible could be interpreted in this way. From now on. As it's, as it's translated in Galatians 6 verse 17, the only other place in all of the New Testament where this term is found. It's as if Paul was saying, after all that I wrote to you here in the book of Ephesians about your wealth in Christ and your walk in Christ, chapters one through three, your wealth in Christ, chapters four through six, your walk in Christ, I am now finally or ultimately writing to you of the warfare you must ra- wage in the strength of Christ. From now on, 
if you will. Finally, this is what you'll be facing. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, brethren, from now on, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Now, the notes that I prepared for you this morning are not so much an exegetical outline of these verses, but rather they they present a series of propositional truths that will introduce us to the subject and prepare us for an understanding and an application of this text in the weeks to come. The first proposition, the first principle statement, number one in your notes, blessings in Christ don't exclude us from the battle with Satan. Blessings in Christ don't exclude us from the battle with Satan. In Ephesians chapters one through three, we learn of our position in Christ and the blessings that we experience in Christ. In fact, turn the page back to chapter one. Ephesians chapter one, verse number three. Just briefly, Ephesians one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with what? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. However, while there are blessings in the heavenly places, chapter one, verse three, there are also battles in the heavenly places, chapter six, verse number 12. If you look at the end of chapter six, verse number 12, there is spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so that the reality of our being in Christ includes a war that we must wage. It is not a warfare for our eternal destiny. That war has been won by Jesus' death and resurrection. It is a war for daily victory in the Christian life. And positionally, we've died and been raised with Christ. However, practically, the Christian life is a battle against the world. It's a battle against the flesh, and it's a battle against the devil. I would cite Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, just as a point of cross-reference. It is a dangerous deception of Satan himself who causes believers to think, if I am in Christ, I don't have to deal with the devil. But verse 10 there, finally, my brethren, or from now on, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Second propositional truth or principle. Number two, the spiritual enemy is more powerful than the strongest man. The spiritual enemy is more powerful than the strongest man. Over the years, there have been preachers who have arrogantly boasted of taking Satan by the tail and whipping him because they are such strong preachers. Over the years, there have been Christians who have ignorantly boasted that that Satan doesn't mess with them because they are such strong Christians. In fact, I had a former church member here from Fourth Baptist Church who in my office told me he no longer struggles with sin because he has grown so strong as a Christian. And I cautioned him, and I said, whoa, We need to be strong in Christ, but do not overestimate your strength against the wicked one. That is a foolish and a dangerous attitude. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We cannot defend against or defeat the wicked one in our own strength as well. We must be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not our own. Verse 11, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Number three, the armor of God is not optional or partial. It's not optional or, or partial. There was a day in this country when young men would receive a letter from the President of the United States and it would read like this. I have a copy of it here. Greeting. Some of you may have received this letter back in the day. Greeting, you are hereby ordered to report for induction into the armed forces of the United States and to report at, and then you can fill in the blank, of course. The, the letter was actually not a, a greeting, right? It was a, a mandate from the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States, requiring one to report for military service. And if you were drafted, you didn't have the option to report or not report unless you were a draft dodger, right? And you fled to, to Canada or to, to Europe or in, in some cases. You didn't have the option to go to war or to not go to war. You were required to go. And Paul is putting everyone on notice, every Christian on notice, and he's saying, you've been drafted, you've been called up for duty, you put the armor on and you fight. It's not optional. And neither is it partial. The command is to put on the whole armor, not some of the pieces or partially equipped. The armor of God, it's, it's not an a la carte arrangement in where you pick and choose what, what, what you prefer, what's comfortable for you or fashionable for you, but rather the whole armor is necessary to stand. And I, I think we can assume that Paul listed all of the armor that's necessary. We don't need other additional pieces of the armor other than what's listed here in these verses, what we will examine and study this very summer. If, if someone suggests to you an additional piece of armor that is not listed in this passage, I think it's safe to assume that it's ultimately not necessary. And perhaps this could be a, a point of discussion or disagreement even later this week as you meet together in our home Bible fellowships can we assume that what is not listed here is ultimately not necessary? What about accountability partners? That seems like an important thing. What about boundaries? That seems like an important thing. What about rehab or support groups or medication? Well, that's not part of the armor as detailed in the Bible. I'm not suggesting that those things are worthless, but we cannot expect to have spiritual victory in the Christian life when we are using weapons that are not meant for spiritual warfare and when we are neglecting the biblical tools that God has given us. You say, oh, but pastor, you don't understand. I really need my blank each week or else I just can't go on. You say, pastor, you don't understand. I feel so defeated. I can't cope without my fill in the blank. I found the only way I can get through the day is my blank. I'm here to tell you, Christian, that you will struggle and you will suffer unnecessarily because you're fighting with the wrong weapons, you see. If you need your coffee in the morning, fine, have your coffee in the morning. But that is not a weapon for spiritual warfare, right? If you need the encouragement of a fellow believer, then, then by all means. But the weapons for spiritual warfare are listed here in Ephesians chapter six. We'll study them this, this summer. Verse 11 says that you may be able to stand. You see it there, verse 11? How about verse 13? Look there. That you may be able to withstand having done all to stand. 
I would submit number four, our duty is not to defeat, but to defend against Satan's attacks. In spiritual warfare, the battle to defeat Satan is the Lord's. And that battle has been won by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The conflict will fully and finally be completed when Satan is bound and cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity, Revelation 20, verses 3 and 10. In the meantime, our responsibility is to stand or resist the devil, James 4, verse number 7. Verse 11 again tells us, I'm looking here at verse 11, tells us to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are that? That's my New King James rendering. It's the schemes. It's the devices. It's the methods of Satan. And notice here that it's in the plural. Whether my New King James says wiles, your New American Standard or ESV might say schemes or methods It's not singular, it's plural. So I would give you this, number five. The schemes of the devil are numerous and varied and repeated. Don't think for a moment that the devil is going to give up on you if at the first he doesn't succeed in defeating you in one way, he will come after you another way and another way and another way another time. After Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, The Bible makes it clear, although I I think that I've missed it so often. The Bible makes it clear that Satan wasn't finished with his attacks on Jesus. You remember the threefold temptation of Christ in the wilderness. But listen to Luke 4 verse 13. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Satan departed from Christ until an opportune time. What does that mean? Satan is an opportunist and he is wanting and he is waiting to tempt again. He is working and waiting and wanting to tempt you in a different way at a different time and he's waiting for the perfect opportunity to attack you. And it may not be at your front door in broad daylight. It's gonna be a point of deception and trickery from behind. So therefore, we must be vigilant lest Satan should take advantage of us. We must not be ignorant of his devices. You might say, Pastor, you know, um, I praise the Lord that, that I don't struggle in that area as other people do. Well, good for you. You know what, though? Satan will attack you in that second area or third area or in that other way. His schemes or his devices, his methods are numerous and varied and repeated. Verse number 12. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And maybe this is most obvious to us certainly a a primary premise of our entire study. The battle is not physical, but spiritual. The battle we face in this Christian life against Satan and a host of demons and spiritual powers is a battle we cannot see, we cannot touch. And the categories of these forces and their rank aren't really explained. They're, They're simply declared to be. And that's okay 
because we probably have too much fascination already with the forces of, of darkness. We don't need to understand everything there is to know about these things. It's, it's popular to flirt with the unseen occult. It's popular to inquire of the spirit world to aspire for some paranormal experience. Have you ever thought about that? In a dark moment? I wonder if Satan's real. I wonder if demons are re- real. I wonder if, if that chair could just levitate and then I would know that, you know, that the occult is real. I would caution us from boasting of experience in which we think we saw or heard something, we experienced or felt something supernatural. Folks, do not dabble in these things, and I would reference Roman numeral number two. One man has given us this warning, and it's there printed for you in the back of your notes. I'll project it on the screen. He says, God did not make us in such a way that we can function either safely or effectively in a demon environment. Even if it is neutral, which it clearly is not, who knows what demons can do in their own environment and what interrelationships exist or what can be manufactured between their world and ours. We were not made to fly around in astral realms. That's non-physical realms. We, we are material man. Granted, the existence of the demonic, one is playing in an astral pig pen filled with evil and hostility. We were not made with the intellectual capacities to separate the good from the evil, the truth from the false in the occult realm. It's not something we go and dabble with as if we have some area of expertise. This is beyond our humanity. He continues, for example, the prophet Daniel was a brilliant and godly young man. However, even he had to be given additional wisdom from God in a special way to be able to have discernment in occult matters. Thus, involvement in such things will always produce faulty conclusions because man as a fallen creature does not have the necessary equipment or ability to sort out demonic matters. You can underscore that last line. This isn't something we pursue. Pastor Matt, would you ever perform an exorcism? Have you ever performed an exorcism? That is not something I pursue or aspire for. Well, Pastor Matt, I got a story. Once, back when I was in college, in our dorm room, there was a Ouija board, and my friends got together. Folks, I would caution us, run for your life from those things because God did not create us to dabble in those things. And again, I would reference number two as part of that caution. Look at verse 16, or I'm sorry, verse 13, Ephesians 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Number seven, propositional statement principle this morning. The evil day is not only coming, it is here now. There are some who take the evil day there in verse 13 to be a singular day in the eschaton in the future, perhaps in conjunction with the the future day of the Lord. However, I'm going to argue that every day since the fall has been the evil day. 
In fact, don't put your Bibles away. Turn back to chapter 5, verse 15. Here in the larger context of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse number 15. See then, then that you walk circumspectly, chapter 5, verse 15, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time. Why? End of verse 16. Why? Because the days are evil now. The evil day is not only coming, it is here now. It was 500 years ago that Martin Luther wrote a hymn. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he wrote 36 hymns in all. Today that hymn is remembered as the battle hymn of the Reformation for as the Protestants were forced into exile and Christian martyrs were led to their death, this was the song they chose to sing. That song is now sung by Christians in every major language around the world. And in that hymn, Martin Luther could have identified his enemy as the emperor or the pope. He certainly suffered the threat of their hand. However, Martin Luther understood that the warfare he experienced was spiritual. And so he wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. As we conclude this morning, we dismiss. I'm going to ask that we sing that hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, remembering that in spiritual warfare, he is the one to whom we run. We will be praying for one another this week as we meet in our homes on Wednesday evening and we review some of these very principles and these truths. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And over the course of the summer, we will take up the spiritual armor of God so that we can stand. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray for the men, the women, the children of Fourth Baptist Church. I pray that you will grant strength to stand, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, because of the victorious victorious blood of Jesus Christ, and as our mighty fortress, you would preserve us and protect us from the wicked one. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.